It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon. And welcome into this week's show. We've got a lot to cover as always. Tony Roach going to drop by again. He just got back from Canada. So he'll recap his trip up there, plus talk a little pan fishing. Joel Nelson with Joel Nelson Outdoors will talk lead core fishing. We'll also talk with an intern with the Minnesota DNR about the forestry division, what that's all about, and how a person could get into that. Plus another great recipe from Chef Joel from Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick off the show, as always, with our Lake and Field segment brought to you by Oars and Mine in Crosby. No matter if your goal is pike, trout, walleye, or bass, Oars and Mine gives you 10 different ways to get the bite. The next time you're in the Cuyuna area, Ords and Mine is a must-stop located on Highway 6 in Crosby. And back with us this week, uh, Tony Roach with the Roach's Guide Service. Tony, a very accomplished angler here in the uh, immediate Brainerd Lakes area and spends a lot of time fishing the entire Midwest. Last time, Tony, we had you on the show, uh, you talked about Montana. You're out there uh, doing some fishing. Now, you just got back from Canada, and so we'll talk a little bit about that, but we obviously find you out on the water doing a little pan fishing this time around. Yeah, you know, Brian, when I get a day off, I love to just go to different lakes and try different things, and I love pan fishing in general. You know, as you know, after spring rolls by in early summer, people tend to forget about pan fishing. This is one of my favorite times of year to target pan fish because you're finding them on those deeper weed edges. Uh, you know, they're they're starting to shift a little bit towards their wintering areas. They'll even suspend off the edge of the weed edge and Boy, I've been to a lot of different lakes over the last few weeks, and it seems to be that same type of pattern, you know, finding them off the weed edges. And when they start moving out, they're usually there in big numbers. I mean, they're notorious roamers, especially this time of year. You get those big packs of suspending fish, and they may be keying in on an area because the wind's blowing in there or, uh, you know, they're feeding on something in particular. A lot of bug activity, especially mornings and evenings, and then you know, as soon as the wind comes up or the sun gets high in the sky, they're going to be shifting to a different area. So I really like to use my electronics to find those fish, but I also like to use, uh, you know, reactionary type of baits. Like today, right now, we're pan fishing, we're catching crappies and bluegills, and I'm just pitching a small little rip and wrap, just throwing it out there, letting it float over the tops of the cabbage, and then working it off that deep edge. Now, I'm not worrying about it falling down, you know, to, to the bottom of the lake. Crappies, bluegills, most of the time when they're off that weed edge or, you know, they're loosely relating to the cabbage, they're feeding up in the water column. So I'm, I'm fishing this bait really aggressive, half crank, half crank bait, half jig. So I pitch it out, let it fall, and then just rip it back to the boat. Well, but what's cool about that is I can fish very, very fast and I can stay on the fish. So if the schools move, I just simply move on and look for another school of fish. Early morning is great, especially if it's dead flat calm. A lot of times you'll see those great big schools of fish feeding on the surface. And so once you've pinpointed them, they've, you know, they've revealed themselves. And so you can really find them pretty quickly doing that. And a lot of times they're up in the water column. You can throw crankbaits, soft plastics. I mean, fish a lot of different ways. But 
you can fish really fast and find them easier. And then from then on, you know, as the day progresses, like today, they were up uh, really close to the surface. A lot of them were feeding. It was calm. Now that the wind's come up a little bit, they've shifted a little bit deeper. So I'm allowing this bait to just fall a little deeper and kind of, I can, I'm continuing to target the fish, but I'm, I'm, I've moved out. I've moved out into that 10 to 14 feet right now. And one of the things I like about pan fishing, especially this time of year, is the fact that you, and we say this many times on the show, get a map out. Uh, the DNR, their website, if you go there, they've got the Lake Finder map and stuff. All the information is there. You can hit some of these gems that a lot of people don't know about and pretty much have the lake to yourself. Yeah, I'm on a lake right now, and there's a few people bass fishing. It looks like one guy was uh, fishing walleyes on a hump, but no one's pan fishing, and that, that's the beautiful part about it. A lot of times, Brian, I'll find lakes that I'll fish in the summer and I'll mark some of these spots uh, and I'll just go back there in the, in the winter. Um, uh, it could be a small little remote lake like you touched on or it could be a, a bigger body of water that has lots of structure and then what I'll do is I'll mark the cabbage lines, I'll mark where I'm finding schools of fish, especially if they're adjacent to some deeper water and then I'll just come back there early ice and check those spots. And you have mentioned and maybe touched on this a little bit already, Tony, but, uh, you know, as we're getting into the latter part of August now, heading towards September, we're starting to start what we call that fall pattern. And and for those that maybe are, are new to angling and stuff and kind of wondering, well, what does that all mean? It can mean something for both panfish and walleyes. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I've seen it a little bit on a few lakes where, you know, the, the walleyes are heavily feeding in the weeds. You're starting to see them shift out a little bit away from that weed line. And, and, and even though we're in mid-August, you, you start to see those fall patterns set up uh, as we get towards the end of the month. Panfish, same thing. I'm fishing them on a big cabbage bed, but they're off out off the edge. They're suspended. It's, it's adjacent to a deep hole. Pretty soon, those fish are going to start to slide out in that deeper hole. Not that they're going to be on the bottom, but they're going to suspend over that deeper water in this particular body of water. And you're already seeing those fall patterns set up. There's another spot where I fish um, uh, just down for me. I'm going to hit it next after we get off the phone. It's a deeper rock pile, and it always holds bluegills. Well, uh, that's a great fall area to find bluegills and largemouth bass. And I guarantee when I go out there right now, even though it's not fall and surface temps are warm, there's already going to be fish setting up on that rock reef. I, I don't ever go into a situation saying, I'm only going to fish this way. I kind of let the fish tell me what to do. You know, if I start graphing along this weed edge and I'm seeing them all suspended and they're all off the structure and away from the structure, I might shift gears and uh, try to fish more vertically um, using floats or bobbers work great for that scenario. I like to use jigging wraps where I'll just drop it straight down below the fish. I'll actually fish right below my transducer, much like you would, uh, you know, if you're ice fishing. Um, however, today I kind of graphed around the edges and I found some suspended fish, but a lot of them are closer to the weed line. So then that's why I started pitching the rip and wraps. But I generally let the fish tell me how to fish them. Uh, same thing goes for walleyes. If I get into a situation where, let's say I'm going to you know, um, I want to troll uh, spinners along the weeds, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I realize the fish are out deep or, or something. I might switch to red tails or jigging wraps. You know, I always just let the fish tell me what to do, and then uh, I just try to, you know, deploy the best presentation to catch those fish. There you go. Some nice little tidbits for you if you're heading out uh, doing a little late summer, early fall fishing, uh, no matter what species you're going after. Now, I did want to talk about uh, Canada. Last time we had you on the show, Tony, you were out in Montana. 
out on Steelhead Lake, I believe it was, and you had some pretty interesting stuff with lake trout out there and uh, also going after uh, perch. Uh, this time you were up in Canada here not too long ago, took your son with you, first time up there. I'd ask you how you did, but it's kind of a silly question. It's Canada. So if you, if you know what you're doing, you're going to have luck up there. But you had a pretty special trip. I did. It was, uh, you know, my dad, my son, um, we, we stayed on a houseboat and uh, kind of out in the wilderness, stayed on an island on Lake of the Woods, uh, west of Kenora, kind of had the place to ourselves. And yeah, it was amazing. I told my son on the way up, I said, listen, when you get to Canada, catching walleyes is like catching sunfish. You know, you're going to be catching them nonstop. And <laughs> within the first half hour, he's like, dad, you're right. This is just like catching sunfish at home. <laughs> uh, we were catching walleyes like crazy. Um, up there, you know, it's so awesome because it's, you know, when, when you're fishing Lake of the Woods or some of those big bodies of water up there, they're so vast and so diverse. So, you know, one day we'd fish walleyes with bottom bouncers, and then the next day we'd go pitch plastics or crankbaits on some of these really uh, chunk rock shorelines, and we were catching smallmouth and walleyes up there. And then I took them lake trout fishing. Uh, we did a little trolling for lake trout. He got like a 36-inch lake trout. He had never caught a, a big laker before, so... It was really fun, and, it, you know, of course, the pike, uh, you know, he caught a bunch of big pike up there and 40-inch pike, and uh, I just love going to Canada. I mean, uh, I think any angler out there that, uh, you know, has experience going up to the Canadian wilderness and doing the shore lunch thing, um, it's just a special time. It's, I'll never forget that trip. It was so much fun, you know, just seeing him pick crayfish on the shorelines to, you know, catching his first big lake trout, it's just irreplaceable. And that's the part of the the area that I'm not real familiar with, that northern part of Lake of the Woods when you get up into Canada. Uh, what is that? Is there a lot of structure up there, Tony, or is it? does it differ a lot from the U.S. end of Lake of the Woods? Oh, it's vastly different. You know, on the, on the south end, it's primarily basin. When you get up to the northwest angle and then start to shift into Canada, it's all reefs and boulders. And certainly are, there are basin areas where there's ciscos and, and, and fish suspending where where you see walleyes out in that deep water but there's just endless amounts of structure and uh you know i think a lot of the overlooked areas when you get up there are some of the shallower water spots because there are so many reefs that hold fish you don't have to go far to catch a walleye and so a lot of anglers will just go out to the first reef they see and start catching fish and then they never leave whereas a lot of this real shallow shoreline stuff holds cabbage weed it holds big walleyes. It holds chunk rock. You know, up there you've got a you've got a, a, a lot of structure that's bedrock, right? So if you can find that chunk rock areas, or even some of those areas that go from rock to sand or rock to mud, uh, you know, you can really find some big walleyes hanging around those areas. Plus, you catch pike and muskies and everything else. But yeah, it varies uh, quite differently from the south end of the lake. And Lake of the Woods is such a special place because it's so huge and there's so much water. I mean, you could spend a lifetime up there and not fish a tenth of it. I mean, it's it's amazing place. I That's where I got my guiding start was up at Flag Island Resort up there. And um, it's always been special to me. I love going up there. I try to go up there at least once a year. How long ago was that that you got your start up there? Uh, late 90s, early 2000s, um, I was in college and uh, got my first job guiding in the summers up there, and I spent a lot of time up in the islands and really learning that area. I was still fishing tournaments. You know, I'd come down and fish a tournament on Mille Lacs or Leech or wherever, and then I'd go back up there and guide, and I just fell in love with that area. At the time, you know, 
shortly after I, I quit guiding up there, you know, I met my wife, uh, who's now, or my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and, you know, I, I couldn't quite talk her into moving up there, but <laughs> if I could have, uh, that's where I, my, my permanent residence probably would be today. But I still go up there, you know, like I said, once a year because it's such a cool place. It's it's a great musky fishery. It's a great pike fishery. It's a phenomenal smallmouth bass fishery. The, the walleyes are incredible. You can catch lake trout. That's what, and there's so much water. Like I said, you can. Uh, it's every day we fished a different area and never fished the same, you know, even area twice, let alone structure twice. We uh, just picked different parts of the lake and and kind of went after it. And I actually uh, every time I go up there, I try to pick it one day where I'll fish an area that I've never fished before. And I did that this year and had a, a great time catching smallmouth bass. We we found this one island that was just loaded with smallies, so we. We were throwing jerk baits, and it was incredible, you know. And I, I try to do that every time I go up there. Is pick one day where I'll just go exploring, and um, it almost always pays off. Anybody who has kids out there, if if you really want to get them fired up about fishing, I mean, Canada is just one of the destinations. If you take a kid up there, they're just it's they're never going to forget it, and they're hooked for life. I mean, right when I got back from Canada, my son was rifling through some of my tackle because he was going over to Grandma's to fish off the dock, and he wanted to you know, fish some of the techniques that we did up there, you know, with jerk baits and, uh, you know, dipstick worms, just, just wacky rigging. And it really, it, it kind of lit a fire on him. He fishes all the time, but, you know, coming back from an experience like that, um, it, he, he just, it, it really lit a fire on him. It's really cool to see. Tony Roach, he is with Roach's Guide Service and uh, always nice enough to drop by and provide some information for us here on the show. Tony, I appreciate it. What, what do you have coming up? Uh, are you doing some more traveling or are you hanging around the area here for a little bit? I'll be around here for a little bit in September. I'm planning to go back up to Canada, you know, fishing some tournaments in September. I am really looking forward to fall fishing. I love fall fishing. It's just a special time of year in Minnesota, and I wish fall was six months long because of all the hunting and fishing, you know, things there are to do here in the state. Um, I just I'm, I am, cannot wait for fall to come. Tony, if people want more information on you, how can they get it? They can go to roachesguideservice.com. Check me out on Facebook. Email me, text me, or Instagram. Tony Roach, Roach's Guide Service. Tony, I appreciate you taking the time. I'll let you get back to fishing, and uh, we'll check in real soon, okay? All right. Thanks for having me, Brian. Good luck fishing. All right. When we come back, we'll talk to another accomplished angler here in Minnesota. Joel Nelson will drop by, and he'll talk about the secrets of fishing with lead core when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and a special treat this week. I kind of stumbled across an article written by Joel Nelson with Joel Nelson Outdoors, uh, talking a lot about lead core fishing, and I know we have a lot of listeners that have asked me, you know, what's that all about? It's not something I really do that much. So I thought maybe we'd get a little tutorial on it, and uh, Joel, once again, thanks for joining us here on Brainerd Outdoors. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, lead core is something I do a fair amount of, so it's a uh Topic near and dear to my heart as well. Absolutely. So we'll get into it here. But before we do that, Joel, maybe a little background on you for those that aren't familiar with you being you're new to the show. Um, you spent a lot of time down in southern Minnesota, but you also spent a lot of time up here in the northern part of the state. Yeah, yes, I do. I, I do travel quite a bit to fish. Uh, you know, I live in between t- the Twin Cities and Rochester, so traditionally I've, I've fished a lot of the areas around pools two, three, and four of the Mississippi River and a lot of south central Minnesota lakes, but. Uh, you know, definitely Minnesota's big walleye factories I spent a good amount of time on, Lake of the Woods, and then certain fisheries, uh, you know, in the Dakotas as well as Wisconsin. So it's 
it's cool because lead core is something that uh, I've been able to do in a lot of different places, even for different species, and seems to work well in a lot of different locales. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's what I think would make for a very interesting topic this week. Because as you mentioned, a lot of those places that you fish, you can take those lead core tactics to places like Gull Lake and places like Mille Lacs and, and Winnie and Leach and have some success. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, I I think it's something that I do a fair amount whenever I see fish scattered. So, you know, if I see fish scattered and they're deep and they're harder to get to and I really want to cover water, it's it's really a bread-and-butter technique for July and August. So for those that are maybe you know, fairly new to fishing or, or just don't get out as much as they'd like to, when we say lead core, what are we talking about? You know, lead core uh, really centers around the line itself, which is just a uh, kind of a braided sheathed line. And inside of that braided uh, braided sheath, there is a single uh, core of lead. It's just a long piece of lead. And what that does is it uh, it's very simple. It sinks the line and puts the baits in the zone. And you know, it involves a little bit of specialized tackle, and that's the part I think that's scary to a lot of people, but it, it's really not that intimidating. The, you know, the first time you, you'll pull it out, it, it, it seems a little bit awkward. It doesn't come off the reel like a normal braid would. You're using larger bait caster reels with line counters um, and some specialized rods to kind of handle the weight of both the line and, and the fish that you'll be reeling in and the weight of the crankbaits that you're pulling. But uh, once you get a lead core set up, and it's readily available in a lot of different retailers. They'll help you out. They'll, they'll help pair everything up. Once you get it out and start dragging it around, you, you'll really start to realize that it's not all that complex. And is it fairly cost-effective? Yeah, I mean, it's something where uh, you can spend a lot of money on crankbaits, and you can spend a lot, of, a lot of time and effort trying to get down to fish in other ways. But once you have, uh, you know, a, a lead course set up, and you don't need to spend a ton of money. I mean, literally, you can spend under a hundred dollars. I'd recommend getting two. So for under two hundred bucks, you can take your existing lineup of crankbaits and really double, triple, quadruple the effectiveness because you you know that you'll always be in the zone when fish start pushing past fifteen, maybe even twenty feet of water. The one place that I hear lead core being used the most here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area, Joel, is Mille Lacs. And yeah. reason for that is it because those fish can become so scattered out there? Ab- absolutely. You know, uh, crankbaits are the name of the game. Whenever you've got a summer bite where fish are active, for the most part, right, their metabolism is up. They are willing to chase baits around. But they're scattered throughout either the water column, as they are in Mille Lacs, right? They can be suspended all over the place, or they can be near bottom. But either way, you've got to get the baits down to the fish and and in their zone. So at the end of the day, there's not a lot of techniques that both cover water and then also get to depth as well as does lead core. And how do colors play in? Uh, you know, colors of the lures or colors of the line? Both, actually. Oh, that's, that's a good question. You know, uh, lead core, it's interesting. The line is multicolored. Every 10 yards, you'll see color change, and that helps you, even without a line counter, if you didn't have one, to indicate how much line you have back to try and recreate those sink rates. Let's say you catch a fish with five colors out. Well, you know that you need to go back to five colors if you're trolling the same depth along a break. Um, Colors in response to the crankbaits uh, play a huge role, especially the Mille Lacs, like you talked about on bright sunny days, those chromes in the clear water, those 
those brighter colors that have a little bit of sheen off of them in UV as well can be super effective. And then in some of the darker stained or murkier waters, I, I like really bright colors, not, not, not with the chrome, but, uh, you know, the fluorescent oranges and so on and so forth. So colors, and they can play a huge role. And as far as when you're trolling, I mean, does it, it compared to crankbait fishing, uh, Joel, do you want to maybe slow it down a little bit when you're with lead core, or does that not matter either? So lead core is, is an interesting, <laughs> it's unlike any other line you'll pull because there's going to be a big bow in it. That weight uh, creates a bow, and as you speed up, you can, you can actually change the, uh, the depth of dive, and if you slow down, you could change the depth of dive. Now, rather than give you general rules on what makes it go up or go down, I think really the simplest thing is for people to get out there, drag it around, focus on keeping your boat at the same speed, maybe start at like 2.2 to 2.4 miles an hour, and let out line till you hit bottom. Um, then experiment. Speed up. Slow down. See what it does. See, see if you're dragging into the bottom. Uh, there is nothing uh, better with lead core than that positive reinforcement of, oh, oh, hey, I'm, I can see my rod tip's bouncing. I'm banging my bait on bottom. That, that to me, is the best test and best way for people to get out there and really gain confidence in the technique. So a couple of other questions with you, Joel. Uh, once again, talking with Joel Nelson with Joel Nelson Outdoors, and we're talking the ins and outs of uh, lead core fishing. And I, I'm a relative rookie at this, Joel, so these may be silly questions, but I really kind of wanted to get do's and don'ts on structure. And a lot of different we, – we're dealing now here in Minnesota with lakes that are changing with invasive species like Cass Lake and even right here in our own backyard with the Gull Lake. They're becoming very clear now. Uh, some lakes this time of year you start to get a little bit on the green side. With lead core, how does that affect whether you're fishing a lake that's, that's fairly clear compared to something a little murky? You know, when it, when it comes to lead core, uh, a lot of these fish are heading deep uh, regardless of the color of the lake, especially if it's clear, though. Those, those fish are, are heading to depth to, to you know, to, to seek out some solitude. Um, in some of the greener lakes, they're often heading to depth because of temperature gradients. So... So a lot of times, uh, depending on where you're fishing, you're going to be in excess of 25 feet of water. Once you get past that 35 foot of water, keep in mind, you got to be careful. The fish that you're catching, if you are down that far, right on bottom, are probably going to die because of barotrauma. So keep that in mind as you're fishing and just, just plan on keeping those fish. You know, don't, don't try and release them. And once you've reached a limit, if that's what you're after, um, make sure you're done for the day. So keep that in mind any anytime you're pulling the depths with lead core. Rock, sand, mud, uh, do that, does that matter at all either? To me, not as much, except for lead core is not a great technique around heavy rock. Uh, rock piles, boulders, sharp, precise turns, that's not what this technique is all about. Yeah, unless you're a precision troller and you know exactly what depth that that bait is pulling with the right amount of line out and so on and so forth, it's pretty tough to recreate precision trolling runs. So the idea with lead core is you're looking for big, broad areas of similar depth, a lot of times sand. Sometimes it's a big mud basin, and it's just going to be in 28 feet of water, and it stays 28 feet for a long run. Those are uh, kind of money, uh, kind of money lead core runs because you'll see fish on the graph; they're spread out, and you want to continue your troll for miles, preferably if you can, along these pods of fish. Um, 
if you see fish in, in tighter groups in smaller schools, then maybe a different technique, you know, like jigging wrapping on them or dropping jigs and minnows or, you know, any other kind of a more precision technique, even live bait rigging right on them, is going to be more productive than is lead core. Lead core for substrate, though, so often is sand and mud. And one last thing, Joel, for maybe somebody that's listening going, yeah, I want to try this lead core technique, and they're a relative rookie at it. What are some of the biggest mistakes that anglers make with lead core? I think some of the biggest mistakes are um, when they're letting line out. If you let it out too fast, you're going you're to make a, a jumbled knot. Um, if you're not careful of the spread of your rods and making sure that your turns aren't, uh, you know, if, if you start making sharp turns, you can tangle it. Lead core, when it tangles, is an absolute mess. So you want to avoid your, boi- your, your baits bouncing off of bottom too much. Just ticking the bottom occasionally is okay. But if your baits are dragging and banging, they can start to roll, and they can actually roll into the other lead core setup. And uh, I have seen some haystacks of, <laughs> of lead core line, and it's it's not the cheapest stuff in the world. So you want to make sure and take care of your lead core. Keep your baits running just above bottom. Watch for those baits banging off bottom, and just, just treat it a little more carefully. You have to be uh, a little more purposeful with the way you let out line and how you reel it in and, and all that good stuff to make sure that uh, one spool of line will, will last you for years. There you go. That's Joel Nelson uh, with Joel Nelson Outdoors. Joel, if people want more information on you, how can they find it? Well, they can always go to my website, uh, joelnelsonoutdoors.com. Uh, I've got an Ask Me Anything section there. If uh, you've got a question, uh, I'd love to highlight it uh, and answer it uh, for you and everybody else. Chances are if you've got a question, uh a lot of other people do too, and sometimes I, I don't know everything by any means, so I have to research it too. So uh, drop me a line there, and uh, we can learn together. It's pretty good cool videos on there too. As a matter of fact, I learned that Joel's also an avid turkey hunter like myself, so you can catch up <laughs> some pretty cool stuff there too. Topics for another day because, man, that turkey thing, that's addictive. Yeah, so you and I come spring, we're going to have to talk again, that's for sure. I like it. That, that sounds great. That's Joel Nelson, Joel Nelson Outdoors. Joel, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Great to have you on the show this week, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking here down the line, okay? Yeah, thanks so much, and good luck fishing. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and we're going to do something a little different on the show this week. Uh, we're, I was lucky enough at a station event here a few weeks back, to uh, run into Amy Chanette. She is an intern with the DNR Forestry Division here in Brainerd. And we had a really nice conversation about uh, what she did and uh, basically what it takes to become an intern with the DNR. And uh, first off, Amy, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Thank you. Um, So tell me a little bit about forestry, you know, with the DNR. When somebody says, you know, I'm with forestry in the DNR, it's not just about studying trees. Yeah, depending on the agency you work for. In a lot of places, it's really about timber. In Minnesota, forestry is really unique because it brings in money for the state um, in a way that, you know, maybe managing rare wildflowers doesn't, as far as I know, as an intern. Right. (laughs) Um, It's really all about timber. um, But the thing that that the DNR does and, you know, most most public agencies in forestry is – harvest timber in a sustainable way. So you don't just go in and cut down all of the trees. You have a really deep awareness of what that site and that land is in terms of soil and what your vision for the site is after it's harvested. So how you cut those trees down depends on what you want to plant after. So there's a lot of planning that goes into it. You know, day to day, you get to go in the woods and measure trees and 
count trees and do a lot of things with trees, but there's a, there's a lot of like studying and, and planning that goes into it. But at the end of the day, it's pretty much all about timber. And tons of research, I would imagine, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know that much about what the DNR does for research. There are a lot of people working at the headquarters in St. Paul that are doing more forestry planning um, rather than field work. But definitely in academia, there's a lot of research because it's always, you know, if we harvest this way, does this species grow back better? Or if we bud cap for deer this way, do we have better luck? So there's a lot of trial and error to figure out what works best. Amy, let's talk a little bit about how you got into it, because you're not originally from this area. You moved out here from Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you choose this path? Well, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I moved to Minnesota about 12 years ago to go to college. Um, I went to McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I was an English major. I kind of thought I wanted to be a journalist or a something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> an English major primarily. Um, I was really good at reading and writing in high school. I struggled with math and science, so I just stuck with what came easier, which was reading and writing. So after college, I, I had a kind of a series of entry-level jobs in nonprofit, um, in marketing, did library fundraising, so kind of a whole bunch of stuff, but just wasn't really happy and I wasn't really moving towards anything. And at the same time, my personal interests were shifting a lot. Um, I was outside a lot more. I started camping and hiking, which I'd done when I was growing up, but not really as a teenager in my early 20s. So I kind of just started seeing the world a little differently, I guess. So around 2016, I, you know, I knew that I needed to do something else, but I didn't know what. I didn't want to just go get another job, but I didn't feel ready to pick something and go back to school. And I was kind of thinking natural resources management. So I quit my job and worked on a vegetable farm for five months. Wow. I lived in a chicken coop. It it had been turned into a bedroom, <laughs> but it was once a chicken coop. Um, and I really just needed kind of a breather to figure it all out, but also just to test myself, you know, bugs, heat dirt, manual labor, do I actually like it? Because we probably all sit in our offices and wish that we were hiking Mm -hmm. some days. So I needed to figure out, you know, was I just kind of sick of working in a lazy way or was I really, did I really need to make a change? Um, The farm was great. Uh, I loved being outside. I loved being dirty. It was awesome. So I did some community college classes after that to brush up on math and science and then transferred to the University of Minnesota. So I'm doing a second bachelor's degree in forestry and natural resource management. You know, it was kind of happening before it was my work ethic was kind of going down because I was doing work that I didn't really believe in or I didn't think was important. I didn't want to be there. And now at school and in my internship this summer, I'm, I wake up really excited to go to work and really happy to be there. And it's something I look forward to. So everyone tells me that that'll fade. But right now I'm very I'm very happy and excited. You know, and I don't think it, to be honest with you, people told me the same thing about this job because I I love what I do. And they're like, wow. And it's like any other thing. I mean, you have good days and bad days, but there's a lot of people out there that that don't love what they do. They have to go to work every day. Yeah. And it's kind of nice having, you know, having that that feeling when you get up in the morning that I get to go to work today. So that's kind of a neat thing and a very interesting path that you took there. Yeah. and And I, you know, part of it, to a certain extent, is I want to make the world a better place, which a lot of people do. And you could argue that cutting trees down is not making the world a better place, but it is sure. because we need 
We need wood. Yep. We need wood for a lot of things. We should be buying things made out of wood. Buy a wooden box instead of a plastic box. Um, but we need to do it in a sustainable way. So it's nice to do work that that I believe in. One last thing. If somebody's listening to this right now, maybe it's uh, they're, they're looking at a career change or maybe they're just getting started on the career path. What do they need to do to become an intern? And maybe it's not even in forestry. Maybe they want to get into fish and game or something like that. What do you think it would take for them to get? What's the first thing that they should do to get on that path? I mean, for me, I think it was really valuable to get a job working outdoors and just kind of test myself and make sure that I really wanted to do it because it's different, you know, being outside or being in the woods six, seven, eight hours. You're not on hiking trails. There's bugs. So and it really helped me build confidence in myself going into a career change to have worked on a farm for five months there were things that I knew that I'd be able to do once I got to forestry. Most jobs in natural resources management need a four-year degree. There there are a lot of things that you can do with a two-year degree. There's like a lot of positions that are more like forestry technician, wildlife technician. So there's a lot of community colleges in Minnesota that have really, really great natural resource programs for two-year degrees. Um, but if four-year degree helps, I think the biggest thing aside from education is just experience. So internships, jobs. There's a lot of jobs that are maybe more like a park maintenance job, whether it's like a city, park, regional system, or the DNR. That would be a really good way to just get some experience using the tools and looking at trees. And even if it's not a forestry job, you could have a nice entry in with being like a park grounds worker or something. Sure. Well, it's been an interesting conversation, Amy, and and I I wish you the best of luck on, on your path. And and what's next? I mean, basically, you, you were telling me you now are heading to Cloquet. At the end of my internship, I am going back to school. I have two years left in my program. Before that, I will be at the Cloquet Forestry Center, which is a research forest um, the University of Minnesota runs, um, doing a three-week session there. So it's kind of like forestry summer camp. We live in dorms. We have class six days a week. and We learn all the stuff that's trickier to learn in a classroom. Amy Shanette, she is an intern with the DNR Forestry Division right here in Brainerd for the next couple of weeks and then off on your path. So Amy, good luck to you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us and uh, hopefully we get to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, thank you very much. And we'll have more Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Time for our famished fisherman recipe here on Brainerd Outdoors. As always, we bring in Chef Joel Black Bear Lodge and Saloon in Baxter for another fantastic recipe. This one, we're going the Greek route this week, uh, Joel. We're going to do a Greek salad and then top it with a uh, pan-fried walleye filet. So Greek salad, this is what we're going to do is we're going to make our own Greek dressing. It's kind of the awesome part of the Greek salad. Um, so we're going to start with some chopped garlic, some dried oregano, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of red wine vinegar, Toss that in the food processor, whip it up real good. You guys don't really need to use a food processor. Just whip it up in a bowl. A little bit of lemon zest, juice the lemon in there. Let that sit to the side. Start making our salad up, I guess. Take, uh, you know, you can use spinach, you can use romaine, iceberg, any kind of lettuce you like, even a mixture of all three of those would be good. Add in a little bit of red onions, some sliced grape tomatoes, black olives, feta cheese. Toss it all together in a bowl. A little bit of our homemade dressing. Add our pan-fried walleye. So for the walleye, we're going to take some breadcrumbs, a little bit of garlic pepper, and some fresh parsley, and we're going to dredge our walleye fillets into that breadcrumb mixture. Coat them real nice and evenly on both sides. Toss them into a hot skillet with a little bit of, little bit of oil or butter, either way you go. Three to four minutes on each side till it's nice and golden brown. 
flakes apart, top it over your salad. One silly question on this. If you did not, if you want to just use the salad dressing as like a tartar sauce type of thing, could you do that? Yeah, that would be excellent over top of a little bit of, over the walleye. So if you weren't a salad person, but maybe wanted to you know, have a different side with it, like you know, some sort of vegetable or something like that, you could use the, the salad dressing. as. Yeah, definitely. I go with some you know, fresh, uh, fresh steamed veggies. You know, some broccoli and zucchini or something, and a little bit of dressing over top of the walleye. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, so it's interchangeable. Interchangeable. (laughs) There you go. Well, if you want to give it a try, uh, by all means, head to our website, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Just click on the recipes tab, and there's a ton of them there for you to try, including this one, Greek salad with uh, pan-fried walleye. Joel, great job as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Excellent. Thanks, Brian. And that'll wrap up this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. If you're away from your radio or out of town, you can still listen to the show live. Just go to BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com, click on the Listen Live tab so you can stream it live that way. Or if you missed a portion of this week's show or want to relive some of it, many ways you can listen on demand. we got the show up on the website. Once again, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com is where you want to go for that. While you're there, visit our sponsors page. We've got links to all of our guests that we have each and every week and a lot of information there as well, so we invite you to check that out. Plus, we're available on all the podcast networks, PodcastOne.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you name it. Wherever you download podcasts, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors. Just search Brainerd Outdoors, and while you're at it, we'd appreciate it if you give us a nice rate and review. We'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vernal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.